Here I will highlight only the history that Chinese and Indians tell themselves, the key events that frame how they see their place and approach relations with the world. The great religions and philosophies founded in India and China influence their societies and politics to this day. In broad brushstrokes, Indian empires assimilated outside cultures and religions more than their Chinese counterparts, and some Chinese emperors strictly limited their subjects' interactions with the world beyond the Great Wall. Some of this distrust of outsiders still exists in China today. The glories of China's imperial dynasties loom large in China's imagination, especially in contrast to its perceived humiliation at the hands of the Europeans and Japanese in the 19th and 20th centuries. China has some lingering resentment toward the West and is eager to recover its great power status. India, under oppressive British colonial rule for 200 years, seems less compelled to prove that it can compete with the West. Both countries struggled in the early 20th century to create their current regimes, communism under Mao in China and democracy on the model of Gandhi and Nehru in India. These struggles have left their mark. Gandhi and Nehru's legacy is a pluralist, gentle one, and Gandhi especially is universally revered in India. By contrast, Chinese modernizers would like to forget Mao and the atrocities he committed, yet he retains symbolic power as the man who made China great again. As an Italian journalist once memorably put it, At the center of China lies a corpse that nobody dares remove. China is now communist in name only, so the party is struggling to find a new unifying narrative and must dust off Confucianism and other homegrown philosophies in order to find a modern way to interpret Mao's long reign. For China, its history creates a combination of insecurity and bravado. We will see how this plays out later in China's nationalism, its tough stance on the South China Sea, the Himalayan border dispute with India, and countless other diplomatic issues that should be easier to resolve than they are. India is now more at peace with its past. After independence in 1947, it initially reacted to colonialism by closing its economy to what it perceived as Western exploitation. It refused to align with any major power and instead chose to speak for other downtrodden countries as the leader of the non-aligned movement. Some of its older diplomats retain a latent distrust of any large power, including the United States. This pendulum is slowly swinging back to the center with a more open economy and a closer partnership with the West. To better understand India and China as they return to their historic place as great powers, and to persuade both to help bring about the positive scenario for 2030, we must appreciate the lenses through which each sees the world. Once, over a twelve-course banquet, an erudite Chinese diplomat told me, Confucius is making a comeback. It seemed an odd phrase to me at the time, but he was right. 
after a century of trying to purge Confucius because his legacy was seen as backward-looking and hierarchical, the Chinese Communist Party now seems eager to resurrect him. He had a starring role in the Olympic opening ceremony. Confucius is China's way to emphasize its native philosophy and avoid Western ideologies that could undermine the party. The life of Confucius, the philosopher and teacher who lived in the 6th century BCE, is shrouded in mystery. Stripping away the myth from his real life is nearly impossible. His sayings have been interpreted and reinterpreted over time to suit the political winds. Confucianism emerged at a time of internal divisions and war in China, and its goal is social harmony and order. Confucius taught that the way to achieve this is through ritual and ethical behavior, and by putting the greater good of the group.